Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's sermon. Um, as we continue the series on the fruit of the Spirit, um, today's sermon is on patience. Um, our text that we're going to be primarily looking at is Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. And um, as I said, the topic is patience. Um, so what do we need to learn about patience? Uh, what do I still need to learn? Well, um, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about what I still need to learn about patience could easily fill up an ocean. I it's not, that, it's not that I'm impatient. I can be very impatient, but there's certain things that just set me off, right? I'm sure you have some too. Um, and if you don't feel like you have anything, ask your best friend or ask your partner or ask your children um, what makes you impatient because I'm sure there's something, right? And in Galatians, um, where it talks about the fruit of the spirit, right? We have love, joy, peace, patience. This word patience is, um, of course, translated as patience, but it also means sort of like the old English word, uh, if you're familiar with it, long-suffering, right? This is this Greek word that is not just patience, like waiting patiently for your food to come in a restaurant, but, but patience in adversity, patience in the midst of struggle. Uh, it's sort of like a, if you want to talk about anger, you can have sort of a holy anger, like a righteous indignation. Patience is sort of, what we're talking about here is like a holy patience or a holy groaning, like we know we're annoyed, but we're trying to have patience, right? Um, and, and patience, interestingly, is also sort of like a manifestation of, of the, the one we talked about last week, which was peace. When we have the peace of the Lord, the peace of the Spirit inside of us, then the outpouring of that to this world is, in a way, patient. We are patient with one another, right? Um, the display of the Spirit in this way looks like patience to the world. So, how and why do you and I need patience today? Well, in verse 18, the Apostle Paul starts in this passage in Romans by saying, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So first, we practice patience simply to endure present suffering, um, in which, of course, there are many. You know, there's the things that make us impatient, but then there's also the things that really weigh us down day after day. We all have stuff, right? What is, what is yours? Um, maybe it's job situation. Maybe it's family things. Maybe it's financial things. I don't know. We all have what we would consider present sufferings. And, and when we look to this, the Bible actually does this over and over where it talks about that we can endure the things of this life because of the glory that we will have in the next life. The Bible references this over and over again, that we are all in this together, that like creation, it says here, we are waiting for relief. We are groaning almost, like, oh, when is it going to happen? When are we going to find relief? And this is what Paul says. This is the analogy Paul uses here to the Romans. He says in verse 22 and 23 that we are waiting as the creation is waiting for the culmination of this adopted promise. Right? That we are daughters and sons of God, but we sort of have not received the inheritance yet. Like, I know I'm adopted, but when do I get all the perks of adoption? Right? And this is the struggle of the Christian believer, of you and of me. It's, it's, you may have heard the phrase already, but not yet. Right? It's like one foot in, one foot out. 
And in verse 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we don't have this inheritance yet. And so, verse 25, we wait patiently. And then he continues to say that in our waiting, this is really cool, in our waiting, what actually happens is in verse 26, he says that the Spirit of God actually intercedes or acts on our behalf. And then in verse 27, joins us with the will of God. So what he's saying is sort of when we wait patiently, when we endure suffering, that the Spirit of God works on our behalf to make things better and then joins us with what God is doing around the world. Why? And then he finishes towards the end of our passage in Romans 8, 28, because all of these things, all the things you're enduring, all the things we're waiting for, the, the future glory, the, the, the struggles on earth today, are according to God's purposes. This is similar to uh, 1 Thessalonians, where it says that all of the things we go through are, are, are like Christ's design for our life. So Paul is saying here, essentially, that you and I are waiting for the life to come, whatever that may look like. And then, but while we're here, we're joining alongside with the Holy Spirit with what God is doing on earth here and now. Okay, easy, right? Let's just, let's just be perfectly patient. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. And then let's just be joining with whatever the Holy Spirit is doing day to day. Much easier said than done. But let me remind us, as I'm saying here, that to be patient is actually to not just sit back. Not just cross our hands and wait patiently. But to actively join with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's work. To, to be looking and to be aware of what God is doing in this world and to join in, right? Think of it like a train headed down the tracks. The Holy Spirit is a train moving towards God's goal and it invites us through patience to join, to get on the train and go with it to where God would have us go. So how do we do this? How do we get on the train? How do we connect with the Spirit of God? Well, first, we need to realize that the patience is not just for you or for me. See, because the world might say that we should be patient to make life better for us, right? If we're patient, we'll have better households or we'll have more success in work. Or we'll be better thought of by other people. Um, it, it, I read one article talking about how in business, if we're patient, it can actually make you more successful and make more money, and, and, and you can reach more of your own goals if you're a patient person. And there are many personal attributes attributed to patience, right? And they're all good things. These aren't bad things, by the way, to be successful, to be well thought of, etc. But this is the secular fruit of patience. <laughs> it, it, it's the idea that it's a primarily a self-centered benefit. It is a self-centered worldview where we are patient for our own benefit, right? If we, if we are patient because we want to just be seen as better people, if we are patient because we want to have more money or we want to be successful or we want to be well thought of, it's not an inherently bad thing. But if that's the only reason, it is incomplete. It's good to be patient, but we don't just do it for ourselves. <laughs> and it also goes against what we just read. This self-centered worldview is not only limited, but it's also against scripture. Because as Paul said in verse 18, the very first verse we read was what? We are patient because of the hope 
we have to look forward to. And, and if the secular fruit is selfishness, the religious fruit of this patience thing is, is focusing too much on the life to come. Some churches do a really big emphasis on this. Maybe you've been to or heard preachers that talk about this. It's sort of, what's the goal? Get saved and then get to heaven. What about in between? Well, don't worry about in between so much. Just, just make sure you're saved and then get to heaven, right? Or, or, many, or maybe they think that, that for this middle section that the world is doomed, right? The end of the world is coming. And so what's really important is about you getting your, right, your life right with God, right? So, so then what we do is we sort of think that the goal is about me working out all of my own personal holiness things, right? I, I, need to, I need to get this under control and I need to work on this and I need to become better at that and I need to do that. Sometimes what we do is we focus too much on heaven because we want to make sure when Jesus comes back, we have our, our things sorted out with him. And that sort of makes sense to me as well. But again, that's incomplete. If we look back at Romans and what Paul is saying, he's saying not that the world is doomed and that we should only look for heaven. And he's not saying that the whole purpose of patience is just to feel better about ourselves or to have selfish goals. Look, Paul says that all of creation, you, me, this planet, that tree, everything, is in birth pains. What that means to me is not that the death and destruction is coming and that we should not care, but that actually new life is coming. If all of creation is in pains or birth pains or labor pains, that means that new life is on the way. And so we cannot just think that the future of this world is doomed, that all of these people who don't know Jesus are doomed and wait for heaven. But rather, we need to believe that patience, when it comes to enduring suffering, is not just for us, it's not just for heaven, but it's also for the world we live in here and now. We cannot only focus on ourselves and our own benefits. We cannot only focus on heaven. A complete biblical view of patience is to realize that we have patience for three reasons. It is for our own benefit to make us more like Christ. But it's also for the benefit of others in our community to be like Christ and to lay our lives down for them while we're still on this earth. To join in their suffering. And it's also for the hope of the life to come. That others would find the hope that we have found. And that we would as a community then share the hope for the life to come. So we don't just have patience for us. We don't just have patience for other people. We don't just have patience for the hope to life to come, but it's all of them together. This is what God is doing, right? And let me remind you, I say this every week when we talk about community and loving others, but our community is the same thing that Jesus said when talking about the Good Samaritan. Our community is not just people like us, people who believe the same things we do, our neighbors we like. Our community is the people we don't like. Our community, sorry, I'm talking really fast. I'm getting really excited. Our community is the people we've been ignoring. Our community is the people you have seen them in their suffering and rather than join with them and being patient with them or on their behalf are the people you have avoided. The people you like to conveniently think sometimes, we all do, I don't need to deal with them. See, true patience from the Holy Spirit <laughs> 
is seen in the life of Jesus, the perfect fruit bearer. And if we look at his life and ministry in the Gospels, we see all three of these things. We see first that he had great individual patience. He went away to pray all the time. He went away to pray all the time. (laughs) The night before he was crucified, he restrains from calling down a whole army of God's angels to free him. He practiced a personal patience. And then we saw a communal patience. And again, not just community with the people like him, but who was he patient with? Well, he was patient with the religious leaders, the people who explicitly were oppressing him. He was patient with Roman tax collectors, people who were actively financially oppressing the Jewish people. He was patient and friendly with prostitutes and outcasts, people society had kicked out of the city walls. Maybe for you and for me, the way we can think about this is not people we kick out of the city walls, but people we put in homes, people we put in group homes, so we just don't really have to deal with it. Um, Jesus was patient and practiced a holy patience with everyone in his community. And then lastly, Jesus displayed patience of the hope of the life to come in his resurrection, or his death and resurrection. See, what we learn from Jesus is that patience is not just sitting back and waiting on God. What we learn from Jesus is that patience is going out into the world and being active. Just the same way we talk about peace last week and pursuing righteousness. Patience is found in going out into the world and doing the work. Patience is not something that is passive, but patience requires endurance. Right? This is why Paul talks about training in the Christian life like an athlete. It requires endurance. The biblical image of this that's also used is an animal plowing a field. A cow, a donkey, something like that. Think about an animal plowing a field on a hot spring day. It's hot. It's difficult. But patience is to keep going. Oh, I hit a rock. Keep going. The soil just got really, really hard. Keep going. I don't think I can continue. Keep going. This is sort of the biblical imagery we see. In church, we must never forget that we are called to patience. It's not just for heaven and the life to come. It's not just for ourselves. And it's not just for other people, but it's all three of these things together. Because when we are patient believers living by the Spirit, we see the benefits of these three things all coming together. We see that you and I, when we are patient, are made more into the image of Christ. We see that our communities begin to be transformed and unified when we are patient with one another. And then when when our communities are transformed, we all are able to share and hope and rejoice at the new birth that will come, that we are promised will come. And this idea of patience I would also share with you is especially important in tragedy and in difficult times. To have this perspective Uh, is very important to practice patience in the day-to-day life so that when tragedy comes, we are able to be patient and endure. And unfortunately, in our world today, it seems that tragedy is happening just more and more. Maybe it's this pandemic. Here in Switzerland, you know, we're very lucky to be here. But there are places around the world right now where because of this pandemic, people are faced with economic hardships every single day. Some people, even worse, are faced with death every single day. And they're suffering. Maybe you've been in a tragedy like that. I don't know. I hope not, but some of you have. 
Some of you have experienced natural disasters. Some of you have experienced from other countries or places maybe you've lived war, famine, widespread hardship. Uh, I want to share a story with you uh, of a time where I saw this lived out in my own life. Um, I unfortunately got to experience a tragedy in 2012, uh, a time when I I didn't really know it. Um, But in hindsight, I think I learned a lot about what spirit-filled patience is. In 2012, in the United States, there was um, a really scary event that happened in Aurora, Colorado. There was a mass shooting in a theater um, at a midnight showing of Batman. And um, in this theater, 12 people were killed, 70 people were injured, and I was a youth pastor at the time at a church about two kilometers away. Um, Kids and families in our church knew people who were there, knew people who had died. Um, Students in my youth group had friends that were in the theater, uh, whether wounded or um, worse. And I remember that morning afterwards, I woke up to, I don't know how many, many, many phone calls and messages and everything. And then my brain started running wild. What do I do? This tragedy has struck. What do I do? How do I help? Right? Part of me is like, okay, I need to, I need to go and, and, and rush over there and try to lend whatever help I can, but I'm not an EMT. I'm not a policeman. I'm just a pastor. Okay, so, so what, what, you know what we need? we need? We need gun control laws. And I started thinking like, like 30,000 foot view. Like, what do we need? How can I, what can I do? And then I finally calmed down and I realized I don't need to go there right away. I don't need to fight for stricter gun control laws. I don't need to worry about security and safety in movie theaters. What I need to do is be patient. See, when we make a a habit of of, of patience, when when tragedy strikes, our habits kick into action, right? I had no idea what to do, so I did what I've always done when I had questions and when I was confused. I just waited and prayed. And after I prayed, I thought, you know, hey, I should start reaching out. So I started calling uh, students and their families and making sure everyone was okay and talking with how they're doing. Um, to be honest with you, I probably could have done a much better job. I had no idea what I was doing. But that's what I did because I knew no other way to do it. And I tried to wait and see and, and, and be patient in the midst of, of suffering and in trials and all the things our community was going through. But I also didn't just sit back. I didn't just sit back and wait for someone to call me and say, Oh, Sam, we need you to pray. Oh, Sam, we'd like you to be here. Oh, Sam, we'd like you to help the community. I also engaged in the things I knew God wanted me to do. So I was calling people to pray with them. I was meeting with people to be with them. I was sitting with people while they were crying and mourning. They had a a really cool like prayer vigil at a local high school where a lot of the students from my youth group went. And pastors from all over the community came. And not just Christian pastors, but spiritual leaders from all different faiths were there. And people were all coming together to be together. And in the days and weeks that followed, to be honest with you, I still look back and I felt completely lost. But looking back now and thinking about this sermon, I saw all three of these things play out. One, when I was patient and trusted in the Lord with these things, I felt closer to God in this time. In the midst of a horrible tragedy, praying with people on the phone and in person, I felt closer to God. I also then felt closer to the community. I felt closer to the community because I was meeting with and praying with people who didn't even go to my church. I would be in these high school gymnasiums where people are just gathering to pray and and, and meet and sort of just be together. And 
And I was praying with high school students who weren't in my youth group, kids I didn't even know. I remember going to a prayer meeting at a local school and, and, and praying in a room full of people of all different ethnicities, all different faiths. I mean, think about it. Like, it was me. There was, I remember there was a Muslim imam. There was a Hindu leader. There was a Catholic leader. There were all these different people in the room praying with people of their faith or people of no faith. I saw the community grow closer together because I actively was seeking out what it means to be patient. And then lastly... I saw a group of people come together with hope for the life to come. Because the cynic inside of me says that this event and major events of tragedy are events, are proof (laughs) that this world is doomed and we shouldn't worry about it. But to me, I saw the opposite. I saw unity. I saw people coming together. I saw a glimpse of the new birth. I saw a picture of what the life to come will look like. People coming together to support and love one another and be there for one another. And this, what I really believe, is what holy patience brings. In this moment for me, it brought like a lens, like a glimpse of truth into why I do the things I do and what the world really needs. And that's the love of Jesus Christ. Because when we as Christians practice patience with God and with one another, we see a glimpse of the life to come. Some of you know, and I want to finish with this, some of you know um, that I am a huge uh, J.R.R. Tolkien nerd. And um, I don't use the nerd pejoratively. I use it as a a good thing. (laughs) But he coined a word that I really like um, called eucatastrophe, E-U catastrophe. E-U in Greek is a prefix for good, right? And, And he said this about difficult things that lead us to good. He said, I coined the word eucatastrophe, the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears. The resurrection of Jesus was the greatest eucatastrophe possible in the greatest story and produces that essential emotion, Christian joy, which produces tears because it is qualitatively so like sorrow because it comes from those places where joy and sorrow are at one reconciled as selfishness and altruism are lost in love. And what he's basically saying there is this. With Jesus, even tragedy can be a good thing. And we saw that in Christ's death and then his resurrection. Because it brought joy and because it brought hope and because it brought peace that leads to patience so that you and I can grow closer to him, that you and I can love one another, and that you and I as a community can all look forward to the glory that is to come. Church, we have no idea what's going to come next in life, and that's okay. God has called us to patience, to long-suffering, to join in with the work of the Spirit and with the work of one another, that we would see him and we would see his love on display. And if we ever forget, let us just remember that in Jesus Christ, we have seen the greatest example of patience ever lived. That we need to bring the same message he brought to the world. God has called us to join with his work, to join with the spirit for you, for me, for our neighbor, for the life to come, for all three of these things. And so you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, waiting for the inheritance are called to keep plowing the field. Because we know 
we know that the new birth is coming, that new life is coming. Amen? Amen. I hope you guys have a great week, and hopefully I'll see you soon. Bye.